26. <clears throat> Let's read it. Um, verse 25. So first of all, every time... Let's just start with this. Alright. <laughs> Alright, so... It's not 26, it's actually verse 25 through the little passage, okay? Um, through 33. Jesus was not interested in big crowds. He was not interested in people-pleasing, alright? There's a, there's a difference between fear of God and fear of man. <clears throat> Believe it or not, fear of God leads to confidence. Fear of man leads to insecurity. You know, all that the Lord told me to Zach, you were not made for men's applause. You were made for my applause. One day, when you stand before God on Judgment Day, He's going to tell you, depart from me, or He's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. That's praise. So whenever God says to you, well done, good and faithful servant, this implies right here you can't check out. Good and faithful servant doesn't mean that you... Do, a good and faithful servant doesn't go to church once a week. That's not a good and faithful servant. <laughs> see what I'm saying? When you study the scripture, you don't see um, anywhere in the scripture where it talks about sinners' prayers, things like that. You know, hey, you know, how does... It, you know, if you ask somebody nowadays, how does someone get to heaven? They'll say, well, just say the sinner's prayer and you'll go to heaven. But that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible teaches about he who who he who endures to the end shall be saved. Now th that's 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 something that you know. If you forgive your brother from your heart, but if you don't forgive your brother from your heart, you will not be forgiven. You're talking about <clears throat> when you when 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 someone decides to make Jesus the Lord of Life. Listen, I've heard people say this too. Well, there's a difference between accepting Jesus as your Savior and making Jesus your Lord. But there isn't a difference. According to Romans chapter 10, it says, it says, all right, all right, Holy Spirit led, right? <laughs> so we'll just, uh, Romans chapter 10 says, um, let's go over there. Hold your finger in Luke chapter 14. We will teach on this, okay? Now let's go to Romans chapter six, uh, 10 first. <clears throat> or you can, I, I'll just read it to you. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on a law, but the person who does the commandments shall live by them. <clears throat> but the righteous, verse, Romans chapter 10, verse 6, but the righteousness based on faith says, Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. This is the word of faith that we proclaim, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. He doesn't say, you know, acknowledge him as Savior. Like, Jesus doesn't, the Scripture doesn't make a distinction that there's a difference between making him Savior and making him Lord. Right here it says, if you make him Lord, you'll be saved. It doesn't say if you make him Savior, you'll be saved. You have to make him Lord. What does that mean? It means boss, master, owner of your life. That means you don't belong to yourself anymore. The scripture, does that make sense? He's the boss. 
He's the, the commanding officer. You are, it's like when you join the military, you don't belong to yourself anymore. You know? You belong to the government. Government property. <laughs> Whenever you decide to start following Jesus, when you, that's why I don't make distinction anymore between, well, hey, become a Christian. There's a lot of people you say, hey, are you a Christian? They'll say, yeah, I'm Christian. They'll, I do believe there's a difference between being Christian and being a Christian. You can be Christian, but you're not, you might not be a Christian. This is what I think what people are trying to say when they say, well, you know, I was, you know, I was a Christian before, but then I, started, then I made Jesus Lord. I think well, that's what they really mean. You mean you were Christian. You had a culture. You were culturally Christian. But you weren't sold out. You know what I compared to? Dating and getting married. Shacking up and actually being committed. <laughs> you can shack up, but you're not married. Oh, but I'm common law married. But you're not married. You're not committed 100%. If you were committed 100%, you would do whatever it took, even legally, to become married. You know? <clears throat> so, people will say, well, I love God. Okay? But are you committed to God? There's a difference. I love God. Yeah, but are you committed to God? Have you forsaken everything else and said only Him? Is He your only love? You know what I mean? So, this is what we're talking about here. It's a, I've, I've, I've witnessed so many people and they'll say, yeah, I'm Christian. But they've never made a decision in their heart to follow Christ and make Him Lord of their life. And the Scripture is clear in it. If you want to be saved, you have to make Him a Lord. Alright? The word Lord... Not all capitals, just um, you know, lowercase Lord. There's there's L, big O, big R, big D, Lord. That's actually in your Bible when it says that. It's actually it's actually um, a transliteration of, or not transliteration. It's a uh, it's called a tetragrammaton. Have you ever heard of Yahweh? Yahweh, right? So, anytime you see the word um, all caps. L O R D, all caps. It's it's actually it's a it's a replacement for the word Yahweh, because they believe it's too holy to say, and things like that. Okay, so but the Lord, just normal word Lord. Had like, have you ever heard of Lord Vader, <laughs> or Lord of the Manor? Right, this is Lord, the landlord. It's the owner, the owner of that property, the owner of the place. He's the boss. He is the one who makes all the rules. So when you make Jesus Lord, you're making him boss, master, and owner of your life. You don't belong to yourself now. You are now a bond servant. Listen, whenever a person is in debt, okay, or they're a slave, it's really... You just change hands. You were a slave already to sin. Now, someone else bought you. Make sense? You were a slave to sin. Now, you're a slave to righteousness. You were a slave to the devil, who was an abusive master. And now, you've been 
bought at a price, the blood of Jesus, to pay for your life. And now you don't, if you accept him, you don't belong to yourself anymore. You, you're, you're free from an oppressive master. Now you're subject to a good master. You see? But we were created to serve. We were never created to be our own. We, authority always comes from authority. We talked about that the, the other day. Authority, God gives us authority. But everything is subject to lordship. God is the ruler of the earth. There, there is no, what we think freedom is like, well, no. When people say freedom, they mean autonomy. But everyone has to answer to somebody. There is no such thing as autonomy. We have to answer to somebody. Okay. <clears throat> Never ever were we ever, since the beginning of creation, our own people. You know? <laughs> it's like children saying, but I want to be my own person. You still belong. You still carry my name, son. You will always carry my name. You will always have to honor my name. You see? Is there, when we, that, that makes sense? This, the world system wasn't created to not have authority in it. Does that make sense? So either, either the world is your master, or your men, or God is your master. There's only two. Okay, so there there is no riding the fence either. God is not interested in half-hearted followers. That's why in the Bible it says, "If you're lukewarm, I'll spit you out." Does that make sense? There is no Christians that are lukewarm that are Christian still <laughs> that are ever Christian. Either you are for Him or you are against Him, one hundred percent. See. I know that's kind of a harsh way to say it, but I'm only kind of quoting Jesus because I'm about to read some passages that Jesus says, and he's going to he's going to draw the line. Whenever you had Moses, and, okay, back in the day when the Midianite women were coming in and sleeping with all the Israelites, you know, <clears throat> and they were committing adultery against these people, or with these people, and they were disobeying God and fornicating and having sexual immoral relations with the Midianite women. This one guy, his name was, oh, starts with a P. Phineas. He was a priest, I believe. And he was very zealous for the house of God. And so, man, he went down there in the tent, and there was this guy getting it on with this Midianite woman. He opens up that tent, takes a javelin, and then just pierces both of them all right in the middle of it. <laughs> Sorry, that's horrible. But he kills them both. Phineas. He was known for being zealous for, for God. Because they were sinning and so he killed them both right in the middle of it right and so what's Moses say he drew a line in the sand those who are for God come on this line if you're not for God you stay on that side so this is a bunch of the Levites come over there right they come on Moses' side come on that side of the line and then he says draw your sword and go kill your brothers and they drew their sword when they started killing all the people that were the head sinned against God. A lot of people died that day. We're talking about being zealous for the kingdom of God. And I know that sounds pretty outlandish, but I'm giving you illustrations of 
that was pleasing to God. That wasn't, I know that sounds weird. That was pleasing to God. I don't, don't I mean, I'm, I like to read the scripture for face value and try to swallow these horse pills, right? But uh, I'm just trying to state what the scripture says there. You know, that's a hard thing to swallow. But, but, but Moses was like, there is no middle ground. You know, whenever the people of Israel came back and gave the evil report about the land and said, oh, we can't take it because of the giants. God said, but Caleb is my servant and he is wholehearted. Therefore, I'll give him this land because he, whole, he serves me wholeheartedly. God is not interested in anything else except wholehearted servants. Those are the ones that inherit the kingdom. Those are the ones that inherit the promise. Okay? Wholehearted servants. So we can be culturally Christian or we can be a Christian. To be a Christian, according to Romans chapter 10, is to make Jesus Lord. And Jesus turned around one day and looked at this, all these people that were following him and said, Why do you call me Lord, but you don't do what I tell you to do? How can you call me Lord and then not do what I say? And so Jesus is also making a distinction there. Jesus, well, let's find a, another passage here. Jesus said some pretty hard stuff, you know? Um... No one who puts their hand to the plow and looks back. Look this up. Luke chapter 9, verse 62. And as they were going along the way, verse 57. Someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Bacchus have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me go first, bear my father. And the Lord said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. <laughs> That's pretty tough. Then as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Jesus, to say fit for the kingdom of God, in Jesus, according to Jesus, you must follow him. All right? To be fit for the kingdom of God, you must follow him. To follow him means to be a disciple. That word means to follow in the footsteps. Now we're not talking about being, obviously disciples can't, they're not always perfect. We're not, saying, we're not talking about being perfect. We're talking about people who are sold out. Which means you're going to make mistakes. But you're committed. It's about your heart. It's all about the heart. It's a heart issue. Okay? Even, even God said, don't look at outward appearance, but God looked at the heart. Don't look at David and his outward appearance. I'm looking at the heart. David was messed up. David did some bad stuff, even after he started following God. But God looked at his heart. You know? Then you got people like Solomon. Solomon. 
He looked good on the outside. He looked good even for a long time at the beginning. But in the end, he didn't finish well. You know? It's because of him they brought all the idolatrous women in there. You know, all the idolatrous... His women, his, his wives and concubines brought all these foreign gods into the nation. Um... All right, so let's go over here to Luke chapter 14. This is the hard one. <clears throat> now, great crowds accompanied him. Again, so these are all people that were so-called following Jesus. They were actually following him with their feet. Physically following him. But what about their hearts? That's the question. What about their hearts? They physically followed him. Great crowds. God is not, Jesus is not interested in the great crowd. He wants the one guy who's going to follow him wholeheartedly. Okay? It's a great crowd. So he liked to do this whenever he had great crowds because Jesus, obviously, Jesus wasn't trying to tell you what you want to hear. See, that's the problem we get in our churches. This is why what I'm, what I'm, what I'm going to talk about today is going to be offensive to so many people because. We're so um, worried about offending people and saying it just right so that they won't be scattered. No, if you really want Jesus, there's nothing that you could hear Jesus say that would deter you from following him. You would say, hmm, let me, I don't understand that. I don't understand it. It doesn't make sense to me. But all I know is I want Jesus. You see? It comes a point where we say, I don't understand, but I know there's life here. I don't fully understand it, but I know there's life. So when great crowds were there, Jesus would always say something really hard and try to get some people to fall, stop following him. Because, see, it wasn't about, like, people falling, falling away. Like, oh, they were Christians and now they're not. It's not about that. He wants to know who's legit. I wrote something the other day. If, the God of your, if, you, if, you, if your God is your belly, what can serve you? We'll know when you lose everything because then you'll stop following God. What were you in it for? Were you in it? Were you following God so you could have a successful family? Wrong reason. Were you following God so that you could be prosperous in your business? Wrong reason. We should follow God just to follow Him. Just because we hunger and thirst for righteousness. We long to be at peace with God. That should be the foundation. Now, all those other things are nice. Living in prosperity, that's nice. Having healing, that's wonderful. Having a successful family, that's a nice benefit and byproduct. But when you sign up for the military, you're not signing up for TRICARE. Oh, thanks. Can you see that from the camera? <laughs> oh. uh, when you're... But whenever you, when you sign up for the military, you're not signing up for TRICARE. TRICARE is the best insurance in the world. Pays for everything. Okay? But you're not signing up for TRICARE. You're signing up to sell your soul to the government. <laughs> you know what I mean? And then a benefit is you have some TRICARE. You know what I mean? A benefit is you never go hungry. A benefit is you're always provided for. You always have a house. That's a benefit. But that's not why you're doing it. Does that make sense? Here's how I know. Because people that go to war for the wrong reasons, come back really messed up. If you go to war as a patriot, you go to war to fight for your country, and you have solid reasons for fighting, you're gonna, you're gonna be a lot more stable when you come back. 
But if you go to war for a paycheck, and then you see some horrible stuff, you're going to question everything about your own existence. You see what I'm saying? Because you don't have a purpose or a cause for what you did. That makes sense. I remember. I remember talking to one guy who came back and he he was he was in uh, Afghanistan. He was a sniper, and <clears throat> he saw some pretty bad stuff. You know, so he had a lot of he was struggling with PTSD and. But here's what happened. When he was over there, his wife left him. And the whole reason he was in the military and doing his job was so that he could have a paycheck and pay for his bills and provide for his family. And so when he was over there, he found out she left him. He went off the deep end. Because his purpose for doing it was gone. See what I'm saying? His uh, purpose for serving in the military was not the right reason. If you're going to serve in the military, you're serving your country to obey orders and to get the job done. You see what I'm saying? Your purpose is to be a servant of the U.S. military. And if you go there for a different purpose, and then that purpose all of a sudden drops out from underneath you, you're going to lose your purpose. You're going to lose your mind. You see what I'm saying? So it's the same thing when we follow Jesus. If we follow Jesus for what we can get from him, then when something doesn't happen in our favor the way we wanted it, we'll lose our mind. We'll lose our faith. Okay? But if we're following Jesus because we love him, we want to serve him and we want to further the kingdom of God, and we're thankful for his salvation and for his forgiveness for our sins, if that's the basis for why we follow him, then we can lose everything and it doesn't matter. Because I follow Jesus for, my, for having peace with God. I follow Jesus for having righteousness. I follow Jesus for the fact that he made me right. He forgave me of my sins. So now if I lose everything, it doesn't matter. Because I still got everything I was, I was following him for. Everything else was just a nice beneficial uh, bonus to the package. You see what I'm saying? But so many people follow Jesus for uh, like a genie. You know, what can I rub this bottle for and get a genie and get my three wishes? You know? And I know this seems to be almost opposite of what I was teaching yesterday about faith, right? But we're now we're getting down to heart issues, okay? The Bible says, He who delights in the Lord will be given the desires of his heart. But you have to delight in the Lord. If you're following God for the desires of your heart, you're screwed. The Scriptures talks about this, um, about the craving. Oh, man. Let me find this, okay? When they were in the when they were in the in the, in the desert trying to follow God, uh, in the in the desert, the Israelites, in number in the book of Numbers, there's a, a story about the craving that they had. Okay. Okay, I'm gonna read this to you. It's not a problem to share with God your needs and concerns or even your wants. The problem is when we begin to grumble and complain to God and we wish evil things and say in our hearts, "Well, why am I even following God?" Why am I even serving God? Whenever we don't get our way, basically, right? Like a little child. <laughs> we begin to create an idol in our heart, which is our belly. So this is what we're, what we're struggling with. Why are you following Jesus? Because this passage I'm about to read to you in Luke chapter 14 is going to really deter people from following Jesus. Mm -hmm. You know? Why are we following Jesus? Philippians 3.19 says, Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame, 
with minds set on earthly things. I'm talking about our desires or our cravings. Your cravings will kill you. <laughs> right? Your cravings will kill you. Your cravings are the things that you want that could cause resentment in your heart towards God the moment you don't get them. Ask yourself, is God enough? It's almost like you're following God just to get this craving. And if you don't get this craving, then you'll say, well, I'm going to stop following God because He didn't give me my craving. There's a difference between having a craving from the belly and submitting to the Lord and only craving Him. Our craving for Him causes us to desire only things that bring us closer to Him in intimacy. We should be saying, Father, I want to follow you no matter what, whether I have or have not. It's much like marriage. In rich, for richer or for poorer, in sickness and in health, until death do us part. <laughs> until death do us part. <clears throat> it doesn't matter what situation I'm in. I will continue to follow Him. Because I'm devoted to Him. Because I love Him. And He loves me. And He rescued me. See, He already did. He already did enough. When He rescued me, it was enough to win my devotion for all eternity. It has to be enough. What He did for you already, 2,000 years ago, has to be enough. I didn't come to God for the things I could get. I came to Him because I hunger and thirst for righteousness. I came to Him because He is... He, he is way too good to me. His mercy beckons me and quiets my restlessness. His patience attracts me to his good character and his love compels me to serve him. The danger is when we follow God and begin to compare our lives to our past and how good we had it then. <laughs> that was the era of the Israelites when they continued to long after their ex-husband Egypt. <laughs> That abusive husband. They were adulterous against God because they kept comparing God to Egypt, saying in their hearts, Well, Egypt gave us meat. <laughs> Egypt gave us meat. God is not some punk kid you're dating who has to continue to romance you every second of the day just to get you to love him. <laughs> Why don't we pursue God as strongly as we'd like him to pursue us? Did he not already do enough to win your affection? Just set off with him already and you will be amazed at what miracles will arise in your life. Why do we expect God to love us unconditionally yet we don't return the favor? Unconditional love means you love the other person no matter what they do or do not do. Give what you want to receive. Numbers 11:18 says, And say to the people, Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow and you shall eat meat. Because they complain, right? We want meat! We want meat! Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow and you shall eat meat, for you have wept in the hearing of the Lord, saying, Who will give us meat to eat? For it was better for us in Egypt. Therefore the Lord will give you meat and you shall eat. You shall not eat just one day or two days or five days or ten days or twenty days, but a whole month until it comes out of your nostrils and becomes loathsome to you. <laughs> because you have rejected the Lord. Whoa. They rejected the Lord? I didn't know that I was rejecting God by wanting my craving. No, he says it was better. When they said it was better for us in Egypt, they rejected the Lord. In their heart, when they said, Why am I even following God? He's not giving me what I want. That's when in their hearts they rejected God. It's very powerful. Because 
you have rejected the Lord who among you, who is among you, and has and have wept before him, saying, Why did we come out of Egypt? They were adulterous. They had a craving, the scripture says later on in the passage, and that craving became their destruction. The moment the moment we have we crave something else besides the Lord, or at the expense of the Lord, is the moment we submit ourselves to a yoke of bondage and our cravings become our end. Numbers 11, 31 through 34. Then a wind from the Lord sprang up and it brought quail from the sea and let them fall beside the camp about a day's journey on the side of a day's journey. <laughs> so, many, so much quail! <laughs> about a day's journey on this side and a day's journey on the other side around the camp and about two cubits, that's uh, 18 times 2 is 32, 32 inches above the ground. It's a lot of quail. Mm. Two cubits above the ground. And the people rose all day and all night and all the next day and gathered the quail. Those who gathered least gathered ten omers, and they spread them out for themselves all around the camp. Watch this. While the meat was yet between their teeth, before it was consumed, the anger of the Lord was kindled against the people, and the Lord struck down the people with a very great plague. Therefore the name of the place was called Kibroth Hathaba, because they were buried. There they buried the people who had the craving. Face value. This is going to be a hard scripture uh, uh, morning. <laughs> Horse kill scriptures. <laughs> uh, what? It's they rejected the Lord. You see, for their craving. What, what do I want? All right. So the next passage here. Now great crowds accompany him and turned and said to him, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father, mother, and wife, and children, and brothers, and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Mm. Whoever does not bear his own cross, come after me, cannot be my disciple. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. How many times have you began to build and could not finish? People want to say, but I, I just don't see, I can't do that. I can't do that, Zach. People say, they'll argue with me. And I'll say, why are you arguing with me? I didn't write this. You're arguing with Jesus. You know? Jesus wrote this. Jesus said this, you know? They'll say, I just can't do that. Well, don't argue with me. You're arguing with Jesus. Just go back to what Jesus said. Alright? Which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost? Count the cost. Before anybody comes to the program, we always say, hey, did you read the expectation sheet? Don't come to our program unless you read the expectation sheet. You need to count the cost. Are you willing to submit? Then people get here and they want to try and manipulate and twist things. <coughs> Hold on, dude. Didn't you read the path? Didn't you read the expectation sheet? Nothing's going to change on that expectation sheet. <laughs> unless I say so. But that's not going to be because someone else asked. It's because Holy Spirit said so. You know? <laughs> count the cost. Count the cost. Are you willing to pay the price? For victory. Count the cost. 
But see, what happens is so many people, so many times, I can't tell you how many times someone says to me, man, Zach, I've tried so many times and I just, I've tried and I've tried and I've tried. Yeah, but have you counted the cost yet? Have you really laid it down? You know, you want to know why David Perry is so uh, adamant. adamant about this? About, about the barracks and he's successful? Because the first teaching I ever taught him was Luke chapter 14, verse 26. I opened with him. He got in the car with me. We met in Fort Worth, Texas. And I gave him a ride back here. And for two hours, I preached on Luke chapter 14. <laughs> I said, are you ready to follow God? Are you ready to do this? He's like, yeah, man. I said, are you sure? It's going to cost you everything. You need to count the cost, man. And I read this passage, and he just pulled out his notebook, man. <laughs> Started writing things down. Getting it in his heart right now. The only way you're going to be able to build your tower, and it's going to stand, and you're going to finish, is if you get this passage right here. This is the key to success. This passage right here, this is one everybody skips over. Everybody just skips over it. Oh, hate your brother. Oh, that's too hard to read. What's the next passage? Salt without taste is worthless. Okay, salt is good, but it's salt. <laughs> We're just going to skip that passage. But no one's going to ever teach on it. No one's ever going to talk about it. But it's probably the most pivotal passage for being to make sure that you actually make it. This passage right here is important. If you want to leave the dock, you have to untie your ropes. There is a leaving and cleaving. When you get married, the Bible talks about how a man must leave his mother and father mm -hmm. and cleave to his wife. Why? You're leaving the old life and you're cleaving to the new life. You're leaving the old relationship that used to dictate your whole life and you're cleaving to a relationship that now that drives your life. Yes, so marriage is a perfect picture of our relationship with Jesus. We must leave the world and we must cleave to Christ he is our husband you see we must leave the old way of thinking and cleave to him that's what this means when it talks about hating to hate means to reject or neglect to reject and neglect to not pay attention to anymore to forsake You know, the marriages don't, many of the marriages that don't last, they don't last because the wife can't get out from underneath her dad. I'm going to tell you right now, if you're married and one of you still keeps going to your parents for everything, you haven't left. Your marriage is going to end in divorce. You have to leave the authority of your mother and father and cleave to the new relationship. And the wife has to submit to the husband. And the husband has to love the wife like Christ loved the church, laying down his life for her. Mm -hmm. You don't live for yourself anymore. Marriage is the opposite of selfishness. Marriage is selflessness. Leaving and cleaving. You have to leave the old relationship and you have to cleave to the new relationship. And marriage is selfless. Do you know that the weakest relationship in life is a dating relationship? Absolute weakest. This is the weakest. 
Everybody wants it. Why? Because it's selfish. What can you give me? I'm going to put my best face on perfect mask. Nobody's really going to know who I am. And I'm going to put on my best show for you. And you're going to put your best show on for me. And we're going to live a lie. We're going to have basically a fake relationship that's not real or meaningful. And then, you know what? I know that at any moment I can bail on this relationship. It's no big deal. Even though I'll rip a piece of your heart out because you weren't created for that. You weren't created for that relationship. That's why every time... That's why it's the weakest relationship, but it's also the most painful relationship. That's true. Well, I mean, <laughs> dating relationships suck. We shouldn't be doing them. If you're going to get married, you look for a woman who's compatible and likes you just for you. Period. Don't even be dating her. Don't call your boyfriend or girlfriend. Just, just be your friend. In fact, if you can't start finding out about them before you even go on a date, don't even go on a date. Like, just... You need to find out if they're compatible as a human being, as a person. Are you a Christian? If that, they don't answer that question properly, skip. Do you follow God? Do you love God with all of your heart? If they don't say yes to that, skip. You know? Do you want meaningful relationships in life, or do you just want to play around? You know? We, here's what it is. It's sin. It's just pure sin. This is like pure sin. Pure sin. I just want to make out with a girl and not be committed. Yeah, that's pure sin. You just made out with somebody else's wife. <laughs> Whatever you wouldn't want another man doing to your wife, don't do to her. <laughs> Pretty much removes everything. <laughs> No touch. <laughs> <laughs> if you wouldn't want a man, if, if a man was to take your daughter and do the same things to that woman that you're doing and not commit his whole life to her, would you want to cut his throat out? Yeah. Yeah. So don't do those things. That's how you know. It's about honor and respect. You know what that shows you? That people that, that do dating relationships the wrong way have a lack of honor and respect. I don't know why we're talking about dating. I actually put a question where I got good away to be like, I get my love, Holy Spirit led. I was like, man, we even went to dating. <laughs> <laughs> but dating, this is how people treat God in their relationships with God. Well, I'm a Christian, but they're not committed. Mm -hmm. They just date God. Oh, I love God. I hold his hand and we peck on the cheek. Hey, we even shack up together. I go to church on Sunday. But I'm not committed. That's a faulty relationship. It will not last. It's not real. It's fake. It's emotional. And as we know by Dwayne Sheriff, sin is emotional. Sin is emotional. He <laughs> Emotional relationships. Listen, a relationship should be founded in truth. And the emotions come afterwards. Emotions are the spice of life. They're not supposed to be what drives you. You know what I mean? So that's why this word hate is so strong. That's why Jesus chose it. Because he knew he would offend everyone's emotions. But he said it. Hate your mother. Hate your father. Hate your wife and your children and your brothers and sisters. And I looked up the Greek word for that word hate. 
And the word, the Greek word for hate is hate. <laughs> it's really a harsh word. But why? Why do people um, get so upset about this word? Because people think that love's emotional. If you have an emotional love, you also have an emotional hate. But if you don't have an emotional love, if your love is choice, all about pursuing and protecting, and it's not about you, but it's about them truly loving them, loving someone else and never expecting anything else in return, if that's the type of love you have, then you'll understand that word hate. It's not emotional either. It means to not care about. It means to not take responsibility for. To abandon. Now we get emotional when we think about that. But it's not an emotionally charged word. It's not supposed to be. Now, he said it because he knew it would emotionally charge people. But Jesus was trying to get a different point across. What is this hate? It means to forsake, to leave all of your other relationships. And God only. Alright, check it out. And what I'm saying is, you know, counting the cost, right? Can't, how many times have we built the tower and then could not finish? How many times? How many times? How many times? But how many times have we really hated everything else and followed Jesus only? You know? It, it keeps on failing because our foundation is wrong. So it's kind of like this. When you're building a house, I don't, I'm not an architect person, okay, so I'm about to quote some things that might not be completely right, okay? But I remember being at the 377 Villas out there, uh, apartments, and they were building new apartments next door. And for months, they were building a concrete slab. For months, months, they were building the foundation. And then all of a sudden, they started building the structure, and within just a whole lot shorter uh, time, the structures went up. I mean, it was like, whoa. Like, in half the time it took to lay the foundation, they built the houses. And I was like, what in the world? Why did that take so long? Whenever I was building my um, uh, office in my backyard, it took me a good two weeks to make sure my foundation was perfect. And then I built the bottom floor on the foundation and leveled the whole thing. But it, it took me a long time to establish my foundation before I built the rest of the house. Because if you don't have your foundation right, and you start building everything else, everything's going to get off. It's not straight. It's not level. It's not sure. The ground starts to sink. You have to make sure it's level before you build everything else. Okay? Uh, and I think it's also because of the plumbing and things like that. You know what I mean? They were getting ready for all that stuff. They had to put pipes in and whatnot. So... My point is this, if you start to build and your foundation isn't correct, and you start building up your walls, or let's say you miss a step, if you miss a step in the construction process, you compromise the integrity of the structure. This is what people have done with their relationships. God's not first in their life. God's not number one. God's not the only thing. 
and then they start adding their families onto the mix and they have no foundation they have a compromised integrity of the whole structure their entire family is already dysfunctional What do you mean I have to hate? First of all, is your family dysfunctional? If it's dysfunctional, you don't have a good foundation. I'm not saying you don't have some mishaps. Me and my wife, we have some blowout arguments here and there. But our family is functional. Our family is not dysfunctional. We have a strong family. But because we have a strong foundation. So we start trying to build all this stuff up without the right foundation. It just starts crumbling down anyway. Our whole life's falling apart because we didn't have the right thing down first. You see? That's what he's meaning. You know, you, you started to build, but you could not finish. Because there's nothing to hold on to. It's kind of like hanging drywall out without drywall up without studs. <laughs> Put central heat in air without putting insulation. What's the, you, there's no point. It doesn't work. You know, putting a roof on without ceiling joists. You know? <laughs> you're missing a step it's not going to work it's going to fall apart fall to pieces you know alright otherwise when he's laid a foundation and is not able to finish all who's, I also use the illustration about cooking on a counter with poop on it here throw me them tomatoes and throw me them onions man you're going to start cooking but you're cooking on poop you're, you're, you've got crap on your counter and now you're cooking on a crappy counter how do you how do you do this? You wipe it all away. You throw everything away. Clean, sanitize, maybe replace your counter. <laughs> and then you start cooking after you've wiped it all away. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. To follow him, you must wipe it all away. Start over, start from scratch. Because if you start trying to build off of this crappy counter, poop-filled counter, you're going to have a mess. It's not going to be right. It's not going to taste right. It's going to be contaminated. Otherwise, when he's laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it mock him, saying, This man was began to build was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him again, uh, meet, uh, to, to meet him whom comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while, if not, then while the other is yet a great way off, he sent a delegation to ask for terms of peace. Verse 33. This is the point of the whole passage. Therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. It's not even about uh, the relationships necessarily. It's about yourself. The reason why we don't want to forsake all that we have is because I, I remember... I remember having um, a woman who sent her son to our program, <clears throat> and uh, he wanted to go home. And uh, I'm like, "This is," uh, and she was going to come get him. I said, "She said I know I shouldn't come get him." She called me up. I know I shouldn't go get come get him. And I said, "Why are you coming to get him then?" <laughs> she said, "Because I just don't want him to hate me." I said, "That's bad parenting." So I told her, that's bad parenting. If you love your son, you won't care whether he hates you or not. You're going to tell him the truth. 
and you're going to give him some real consequences because you know he can lose his kids. You know that he could lose everything if he doesn't have this consequence here. And you're going to come get him? Don't come get him. Make him walk. Make him think about it. Make him actually suffer consequences. You know, that we want small consequences so that we can prevent bigger consequences. It's about saving a person's life. Not about making them go through pain. But sometimes you have to suffer some small discomfort so that the, you don't have big, big consequences. You know? You know? And so, I mean, she didn't come get him. And that guy now is on the, uh, now that guy's on track of getting his kids back. You know? He's doing great, you know? Um, but it took some, it took some hard love, you know what I mean? True love. My point is this. She was loving him in that moment. She did not love him properly. She loved him for herself. She was showing him affection and kindness so that he would love her back. And that's not love. That's selfishness. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and love does not seek its own way. You lend and do not borrow, according to Luke chapter 6. You're, you're giving and not expecting something in return. You know, that's why, you know, we even talked about the other day, that's why this, that's why I believe, that's one of the things I believe that makes this house successful. Is that we give and we don't expect anything from that person. We It's about you doing the right thing for God. You know what I mean? For you and, and God. But we're not trying to get anything from anyone. You know what I mean? That's why we don't charge anything. You know, we, we work so we can feed ourselves. You know what I mean? That's just common sense and that's wisdom and that's not being a slugger. You know what I mean? We have to work hard. But <clears throat> it's not about, you know, I didn't have people come pay me $2,000 knowing full well you might not last a week. You know what I mean? <laughs> right, you you got to want it. And it's got to be your choice. And those people, the ones that stay, they make it and they do well. Because they did it, they, they made a, there was a resolve inside of them to lay down their life and make the sacrifice. To leave everything at home. That's what y'all are doing. When you come here, you're abandoning all, and some people are going to look at you, and the devil's going to come at you and say, but you got kids. You need to go back and be a good father to your kids. What are you doing there for nine months? You look at the devil and say, shut up. I'm here laying down my life, renouncing all that I have to follow Jesus so that he can give me back what belongs to me. But I'm going to submit to him and let him give it back to me. I'm not going to go take it. I'm going to let him give it back to me. And then when he does give it back to me, I will fight for it. And I will do Why? Because I know already what it means to lay down my life for God. So then when I go back home, I'll know what it means to lay down my life for my wife. For my children. But you have to first learn how to lay down your life for God. And let him teach you and coach you and train you and, and build those things inside of you. Make sense? Was it 18 you said? 18.29 Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. So we're going to go over here to Exodus chapter 4. Moses in the burning bush. Let's go to verse, just chapter 3. Let's go to chapter 3. <clears throat> now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led his flock to the west side of the wilderness. He led his flock to the, okay, uh, and to camp to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire. 
in a flame of fire. <coughs> so I'm going to mark some things up here. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush was burning. Yet it was not consumed. The Bible says that he is a consuming fire. He's an all-consuming fire. You're supposed to be consumed by God. Much like this burning bush. So much so that you become a distraction to everybody else. A consuming fire consumes you, which means that nothing else is in your forefront. This is what consumes you. You don't have distractions, but you become a distraction. To all those that have been distracted. What a fire does is it burns up all the shaft, all the stubble, all the stuff in the middle, all the stuff that doesn't matter, all the, all the stuff that's trivial. And only the things that are really solid last, like metal. He looked and behold, the bush was burning and it was not consumed. So this is the thing about it, you know, we look at that, you know, even that passage in, 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 in Luke chapter 14, it says, if I hate my brother, my father, my wife, my children, my brothers and sisters, even my own life, that'll consume me. You know what I mean? Yeah, it is like this dying process, but you won't be consumed. It's very interesting. This fire, it will consume you, but it won't consume you. You're consumed by fire, but you don't go to ashes. That make sense? And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. He said, Here I am. And then he said, Do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you're standing is holy ground. He said, I am the God of your father, <clears throat> the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses lifted his face, for he was afraid to look at God, or hid his face. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard the, their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. And I come down, I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing in milk and honey, to a place in, uh, of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now behold the cry of the people of Israel has come to me and I have also seen the oppression which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh. I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? You know what's interesting about this? If God tells you to do something, just obey. Don't argue with him. So whenever... Moses was arguing with God. He had pride. Who am I? You are who God said you are. Who am I? When he said, who am I? That was pride. Now, we might think that's humility. But it's not humility. Humility is to not submit. I mean, humility is to submit. But pride is to think you know better than God. 
You will deliver the people of Egypt. Who am I? He said, but I will be with you. You're nothing, Moses. <laughs> you got that right. I will be with you. And this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you came, when you have brought the people of Egypt, people out of Egypt, and they shall serve God on this mountain. It's the one that you're on right now. <clears throat> so did y'all so y'all see that? Whenever whenever Moses um got the, went to the burning bush, that mountain is the same mountain they returned to and got the Ten Commandments. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What's his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. He said, Say to this people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say to this, say this to the people of Israel, The Lord, Yahweh, I am, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered forever throughout Remember throughout all generations. So God, go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, has appeared to me, saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt. And I promise that I will bring you out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites. And so on, right? And they will listen to your voice. And you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. And now, please let us go three days' journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I know the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. You already know this. So I will stretch out my hand against hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do. And after that, he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty. But each woman shall ask of her neighbor, and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing, you shall put them on your sons and your daughters, and you shall plunder the Egyptians. Then Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice. But they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? Alright, so, Moses is struggling. Who am I? You know, that's always the problem. <laughs> that question right there. Mine's capitalized. Is that because it's the name God, but it's too important for them not to... All of it's capitalized. Now. I am? Yeah. That's Yahweh. Okay. Um, okay. <laughs> This question, though, that Moses said, who am I? That is the, always the problem. When people don't know who they are, that's always the problem. You want to know why you don't have victory in your life? You don't know who you are. Humility is submission to God. Always the cost of discipleship. Humility. Submission. Follow and obey. Right? That is discipleship. To submit, follow, obey. To allow God to define you, not your circumstances. To allow God to define you, not those in your past. To allow God to define you, not your family members or your enemies. No one can define you except God. 
Only allowing God. You can't even define yourself. Self-made men, they're unhappy. People who know that God made them that way, they're happy. <clears throat> but behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice. Insecurity. Look, pride. We always talk about how pride is deep-rooted insecurity. They will not believe me. Look, dude, God just said you're going to deliver the people of Israel. You shouldn't be asking. You shouldn't be saying that they're not going to believe you. You should be saying, how will they believe me? Not, but they're not going to believe me. See, Moses is insecure. He's full of pride. He thinks he knows better than God. God just said, you're going to go set people free. And he's like, but how? They will not believe me. He's arguing with the Lord. Moses was lucky. Look, look, Moses was, was blessed that God didn't reject him at this point. See? He was acting in doubt and humble and unbelief. So what does he do? What is this? So he says, uh, they will not believe me. Okay, so when he starts questioning his own identity, what's God do? He says, okay, let's settle this, Moses. What's that in your hand? What's that in your hand? Okay. Leave and cleave. Another another way of describing this is to let go. Moses, you have a problem believing me. I told you this is who you are. I told you this is what you're going to do. I told you what's going to happen. What's in your hand? What's holding you back? Why aren't you submitting to what I said? What do you have in your hand? He says a staff. I find it to be funny that God does this because the staff is important. This staff represents Moses' authority. He represents his job description. He's a shepherd. The staff represents all that. It represents his own power, his own might, his strength as his weapon. What's that in your hand? It's the thing that he lives by. It's his code. It's his identity. I'm a, I'm a shepherd. This is my this is my staff. What's that in your hand, a staff? Anytime that we have a problem engaging in what God has for us, anytime we have a problem following God, usually it's because we're holding on to something. But we won't let go. Something that we're holding on to is defining us. Something that we're holding on to is still controlling us. And that staff controlled him. And he didn't even recognize it. He didn't even know what that staff was. He didn't even know that it was a problem. What's that in your hand? Staff. He said, throw it on the ground. <laughs> throw it on the ground. Now watch this. So he does. So he threw it on the ground and it became a serpent. Anything you're holding on into your life is going to be a venomous snake. Whatever you lean into the most, whatever you trust in the most, whatever your your whatever your title is, whatever you bank on is, this is who I am. Whatever your pride and your and your accomplishments are, those things are like snakes in your life. They will always deter you from the will of God. Even though they look good. 
I remember that guy. He said to me, Zach, I gotta leave. I gotta, I gotta leave the program. My son needs his father. And I looked at him and said, "You weren't ever that father in the first place. <laughs> what makes you think you can go back now and, and get it done?" You know, I'm not trying to be mean. I'm gonna tell you right now, the devil's gonna take good things in your life and twist them. You're gonna leave here, and you're still not gonna be the father that you're wanting to be because you're not ready. I said, I'm going to support you, I love you, whatever, you know? So he goes. Guess what? He doesn't go home. He still has to go off. He, leave, he leaves the state for a whole year. And I finally got clean after a whole year. But it didn't matter. The lie that took him away from here sounded like a good thing. It was a staff. It looked great. You see what I'm saying? But the moment he left, it bit him like a snake. Hmm. So... You have to let it go. You have to drop those things on the ground. <laughs> he threw it on the ground and it says it became a snake and then he ran from it. <laughs> finally, Moses, you finally ran away from the thing that was controlling you. But only after he surrendered it. When he finally surrendered it to God and threw it on the ground, he finally saw it for what it really was. A snake. It looked good. But it was corrupt because it wasn't from God. It was... It was from men. So he dropped it. He ran from it. Right? Powerful stuff. Then what's he say? Go pick it up. <laughs> he ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, Put your hand out. Put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and caught it, and it became a staff in his hand. Whenever we surrender the things in our life that we think that we either we control them or, or but the truth is they're controlling us. When we surrender them to God, oftentimes God does give them back to us. But this time it's in a completely different light. It's like a brand new reality. It's not the same anymore. Moses was no longer a shepherd of sheep. When he got that staff back in his hand, he became a shepherd of people. He was the shepherd of God's people. Over a million people he led in the wilderness. He led a nation. He led a nation. God gave him much more authority and power than he ever dreamt of part of the Red Sea with this thing. This thing had power. Before, it was... You know what it was before? It was a cowardly runaway. He killed that... I'm not, I'm not saying he shouldn't have ran, but... He killed that guy at age 40. Took off running. He has been, he's been a fugitive for 40 years in the wilderness. Shepherding Jethro's flocks. That staff was his... was his runaway staff. Now it became a staff that went into danger. Now he would go back and face all of his problems. And he would defeat his enemies. Before it was a, a rod of comfort for him. Where it was a, like a pacifier, right? In a sense. It was a thing that, that coddled him. That, that kept him safe. But it was a, it was a fake thing. It never. It was it was what I mean by it, it kept him safe. It kept him comfortable. 
but he never did anything with his life. You see? Never made a difference. Right where the devil wanted him. But then whenever God, he gave it to God, and God gave it back to him, now it became a source of power and of victory. So now he wasn't just running away from his problems, he went and faced his problems. And he conquered his problems. And not only did he conquer his problems, he was able to deliver a nation. God doesn't ever give you something for yourself. He always gives you victory in your life so you can help other people get victory in their life. <clears throat> so he put out his hand. Okay, watch this. He put out his hand and caught it and it became a stamp in his hand. That they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has appeared to you. Again, the Lord said to him, Hey, put your hand inside your cloak. Remember, Moses, everything that you touch is death. Everything you've ever tried to accomplish before in your own might has failed. Before he tried to deliver the people of Israel too, but he just did it one at a time. That wasn't going to work out. Right? Because remember, he killed the Egyptian. He was doing it to protect the Israelite. He was getting beat, so he wouldn't kill the Egyptian. He was the defender of the weak. But he did it in his own might, and then he took off running for his life. And then when he came back in the power of God, judged an entire nation. Put your hand inside your cloak. Watch this. Took his hand in his cloak, which is right by his heart. He put his hand inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, it was leprous. It was dead. Everything you touch, Moses, is dead. Everything you touch is dead. And anything in your heart, it's from your heart. Something's wrong with you at your core. And then God said, put your hand back inside your cloak. So he put his hand back inside of his cloak. When he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. So when, now watch this. What's funny is, whenever he put it in his cloak, he hid it. When you hide something, it's like burying it. He buried it in his cloak. Watch this. He took his hand, whatever he put his hands to, and he buried it. It died to him. His hand died to him. Whatever, everything he's done in his own might, it had to die. And he come. And when it, it makes sense. <clears throat> he buried it in his cloak. When it brought out, he saw it was already dead. Before he didn't see that it was dead, but now he had to bury it. Anyway, he took it out. Now it was resurrected. Death, burial, resurrection. God wants to resurrect things in our life. But we have to surrender first. Which means we lay our life down on the cross. Pick up our cross daily. We surrender. We die to ourselves. And then He resurrects things in our life. But it only comes through us surrendering. <clears throat> we must... The only way you can get your life to be brought back up is if you lay it down. Jesus laid down His life and God resurrected Him. We lay down our lives and God resurrects us. When we surrender ourselves as a living sacrifice before God, He resurrects our lives. It says, if they do not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they will believe the latter. If they will not believe even these two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take some of the water from the Nile. Look at this. Everything, all the plagues of Egypt, all the signs and wonders in Egypt was all about what they thought would bring them life was actually bringing them death. When they weren't trusting God and they were trusting in the things of the world, 
God was showing them, look what you believe in. This Nile God that you believe in, the river, the water's like blood. Look, it turns into blood. Everything you ever trusted in before really just leads to death. So we have to learn how to lay down, throw down our staffs, and let God teach us how to pick them back up. Hey, thank you for watching and listening to this channel. Be sure to hit the like button and share it to your friends. And subscribe to our channel for more content every single week. And if you haven't yet, go visit our website at bombszs.com. We have a lot of content there and a lot of things wow. for you that are absolutely free. So be sure to utilize us as much as possible. We hope that you were blessed by this message. Till next time, have a blessed day.